Welcome back to Dry Jan Like a Sober Rebel with me, Louisa Evans. If you've stumbled across this episode, just to let you know, it is part of a series that builds over time to support you in your first month of sobriety, or even if you're just taking a break from alcohol. The series is designed to enable you to properly look at your beliefs around it and to make lasting positive changes. I'm a cognitive behavioural hypnotherapist, so that means I use CBT and hypnotherapy to support people in overcoming habits or in achieving goals. This process involves looking at what thoughts are triggering you, what behaviours are sabotaging you, and then cementing those changes with hypnosis to ensure that your mindset is then on your side. In yesterday's episode, we began the conversation about how alcohol robs the joy from everyday life and how in sobriety all those positive emotions and joyful feelings begin to return to you. But along with those positive emotions come negative ones as well. And you're then facing the stresses and strains of life fully present. And the key here is emotional regulation. And that's being able to honour, address and regulate your response to those emotions. And so today, as promised, I want to talk more in depth about practical ways to do this. So to start with, I want to touch on five emotional regulation skills that it's a great idea to master. And there are so many different skills out there that can help us self-regulate our emotions. But the first one is to create space. Emotions happen really quickly. They come out of nowhere. We don't think, now I'm going to be angry. We're just suddenly angry, jaw clenched and furious. So the number one skill in regulating difficult emotions, the gift that we can give to ourselves, is to pause. And a few episodes ago, I taught you the three, six, nine breath. Take that breath. Take a breath take a pause, slow down so that you notice the moment between the trigger before you respond. And then this brings us on to the second point and that's noticing what you feel. And for some people they find this quite difficult because they've spent so long suppressing those feelings, avoiding those feelings because they don't want to feel them, that they struggle to find the words. Because one of the things after you've noticed what you feel is you have to name it. So just for the first instance, tune into your body. Just become more curious about your own physical reactions. What's happening? Where are you noticing sensations? Does your stomach suddenly feel upset? Do you feel your heart racing? Do you feel your jaw clenching or tension in your neck or head? Those physical symptoms can actually be clues as to what you're experiencing emotionally. Looking at and inquiring into what's happening to you physically can also distract your focus in the moment and allow some of the intensity of that emotion because we don't want to be acting when the emotion feels incredibly intense. Which brings us to the third point, naming what you feel. So after noticing where it is in the body, the ability to name that emotion or that feeling can help you gain control of what's happening. So what would you call that emotion you're feeling? And there have been studies that suggest that the more in-depth and descriptive the language you use when it comes to feelings, the more benefit you'll feel. And with clients, I use something called 
The Feelings Wheel, which was developed by Wilcox in 1982. You can look this up online. So initially, when you look at this wheel on the inside, you have the main core emotions or feelings of anger, disgust, sadness, happiness, surprise or fear. What you do is you find the emotion that most represents what you're feeling in that moment. So if it's anger, then move out of the wheel and you have other options. Are you feeling hurt, threatened, hateful, mad, aggressive, frustrated, distant, critical? So let's say you're feeling hateful as an example. You then move out one more stage and you ask yourself, is that resentful or is it that you're feeling violated? If you're feeling threatened, is it that you're jealous or is it that you're feeling insecure? So the more we can pinpoint those feelings, then the more able we are to understand them. And it's in the understanding that the power lies. So name your emotion. And a strong emotion that often hides beneath all of the others is actually fear. And we often feel more than one emotion at any time. So when you're taking this moment to name what you feel, get your pen and paper out. Don't hesitate to identify multiple emotions you might be feeling. Then dig a little deeper. If you feel fear, what are you afraid of? If you're feeling angry or resentful, what is it you're angry about or towards? Is there something behind that? Is it actually about this person or is it something that's been triggered in you from your past? Being able to name your emotions in that way will help you get one step closer to then sharing your emotions with other people because communication is key, but also then reaching the next step, which is to accept the emotion. Emotions are normal and they're natural. They're a part of how we are supposed to respond to situations. So rather than beating yourself up for feeling angry about something or scared about something, just recognize and acknowledge that your emotional reactions are valid. Practice a bit of self-compassion. Give yourself a break. Experiencing emotions is a normal human reaction. And then the last step that you can work through is mindfulness. Mindfulness helps us to live in the moment. By paying attention to what's inside us, as we've just done, using your senses then to notice what else is happening around you, all in non-judgmental ways, these skills can help you stay calm and avoid engaging in those negative thought patterns when you're in the midst of emotional pain. Because we have talked about the think, feel, act cycle. Feelings are in there, but so are thoughts. And we don't want our thoughts or our behaviours to then be driven by our feelings negatively. Mindfulness is a massive subject and it's also a subject and a phrase that's bandied about quite a lot. So what is it? Let's look at it in detail. Because you can flippantly say, oh yes, I need to be more mindful. But how do you do that? Mindfulness actually involves us paying attention to what's going on inside us and also outside of ourselves moment by moment. Because it's so easy to stop noticing the world around us. It's also easy to lose touch with the way our bodies are feeling and to end up living in our heads, caught up in our thoughts without stopping to notice that think-feel-act cycle, how those thoughts are then driving our emotions and our behaviours. 
So an important part of mindfulness is actually reconnecting with our bodies and the sensations they experience. A really great way of doing this is to focus on the five senses. That's sight, sound, smell, taste and touch. All of those things in the present moment, bringing you back outside your body. That could be anywhere at any time. You could be walking around the supermarket and all of a sudden, rather than being in your head, you can take your focus outside of you. And that's a really good technique to use in social anxiety. Social anxiety is a whole episode in itself. And I've got that planned in for later in the series when we go through what to do if you're drinking because you feel social anxiety. You feel an overfocus on what other people are thinking about you. And so that's something I want to revisit. But this technique of taking your focus and pinpointing it onto those five senses to take it away from your thoughts is a great mindfulness technique. That might be something as simple as feeling the banister as we walk upstairs, noticing the clock ticking on the wall, seeing the pattern of the carpet on the stairs, taking in every part of your experience. And when it comes to our thoughts, it's actually having an awareness of our thoughts and feelings as they happen moment by moment. Our thoughts are running continuously and some of them will be useful. Some of them could be negative. Some of them will be positive and most of them will be completely irrelevant. If you take a moment to notice and just sit there and pay attention to your thoughts and the thoughts that come into your head, you'll realise how many thoughts we have at any one time. You'll realise not all of them need to be believed, let alone acted on. And mindfulness is really good for mental well-being because being more aware of the present moment helps us to enjoy the world around us more and to understand ourselves better. So when we're more present, we begin to experience things differently. And that's again tapping back into that joy, things that we might have taken for granted. Mindfulness also allows us to become more aware of the stream of thoughts and of feelings that we're experiencing at any one time. And then we can see how we could become entangled in that stream in ways that aren't helpful. So it gives us the opportunity to observe our experience rather than get absorbed by it. It lets us stand back from our thoughts and start to see their patterns, particularly when it comes to triggers and alcohol. And gradually we can train ourselves to notice when our thoughts are taking over, when they're becoming unhelpful, and realise that they are simply mental events and don't have any control over us. They can't make us act. Mindfulness can also help us deal with issues more productively. If we're ruminating, we can actually ask ourselves, am I trying to solve this by brooding? Is that helpful? Or am I just getting caught up again in my thoughts? By labelling what we're doing, we can find it easier to let it go. An awareness of this kind will actually show and flag up any signs of stress or anxiety earlier. And the earlier you notice those things, then the better you can deal with them. So again, I thought I'd run through some tips quickly about mindfulness and how to be more mindful. It's all about reminding yourself to take notice of your thoughts, your feelings, your bodily sensations and the world around you. Jot them in a journal because again that helps us become more objective, helps us to observe and not absorb them. Notice the everyday. As we go about our daily lives, 
It's practicing and noticing the sensations of things, the taste of the food we eat, the air moving past our body or our face as we walk. It's really helpful to pick a regular time to be mindful in this way. Some people choose to do this in the morning or in the afternoon, but you could do it at lunchtime when you're sat on the park bench or at your desk. It's just a time that you set aside, put an alarm on your phone to be aware of the sensations created by the world around you. Trying something new, so if you always sit on the same park bench, sit on a different one so that you're seeing the world from a different perspective because you'll notice different things. But also, being aware of your thoughts isn't something to be scared of if you aren't scared of your thoughts. Keep reminding yourself, even if you have lots of thoughts or intrusive thoughts or even negative thoughts, just notice them. It isn't about making those thoughts go away but just see them as mental events coming and going. It's your brain suggesting to you as to what could be going on. That's all it is. And it's giving you lots of different choices. Not all of them need to be believed. This is something that you can practice and get better and better at. And it's a really good mental skill to have. Some people like to do mindfulness while they're moving rather than just sitting down. So they might do it while they're doing something like yoga or even just walking or mowing the lawn. They find the act of sitting still too restrictive. But any time you're just giving yourself an opportunity to be really in that moment will help you. I know I'm cramming a lot of information into this episode. So just to recap, here are the strategies to help you regulate your emotions now that you're feeling them. And this is all about building those coping skills. There are two broad categories of emotional regulation. The first is reappraisal. So that's changing how we think about something in order to change our response. And the second is suppression, which is more linked to negative outcomes, things like drinking or avoidance. And that's associated with dissatisfaction and poor well-being. So just to recap, you need to identify and reduce the triggers. You aren't looking to avoid negative emotions or be afraid of them. But you don't have to keep putting yourself in situations that bring on unpleasant emotions. So start to look for patterns or factors that are present when you start to feel those strong emotions. And that might require some curiosity and honesty. Strong emotions often spring up out of our deep-seated insecurities, especially the ones we try to hide. So what's happening around you and notice what past experiences that might be bringing up for you. And when you've identified those triggers, you can start to look at why they may be carrying so much weight to further reduce their importance. And if you need help with this, you can talk to somebody, talk to a professional, talk to a therapist. Tune into those physical symptoms. So how you're feeling, including if you're feeling hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Because you can actually fix those things by resting, eating, or doing things like talking to a friend. And as I'm doing this podcast, all these ideas are spurring off and I'm thinking, God, I've got to talk about this and I've got to talk about that. But one of the things I really do want to talk about is thinking errors. Because we all do them. Consider the story that you're telling yourself. Are you engaging in thinking errors? Because a lot of the time, with the absence of information, we fill in the blanks with details of our own. Maybe you're feeling rejected, 
you've identified that because you haven't heard from a family member and you filled in that blank that that's because they don't care about you. Before you make and draw these assumptions, ask yourself logically what other explanations might be possible. Don't get swept away in that emotion. Look at the fact as well. Write it all out on a bit of paper to distance from it. What else could be going on for that family member that could stop them reaching out to you? Could they be busy or sick? Or are they well-intentioned, but they often forget to follow through on some things? We all have imperfections. And so identifying those stories that we could be telling ourselves is a really good tool to have. And don't forget to engage in positive self-talk. So when we feel overwhelmed by emotions, our self-talk can become negative. You can start to say things like, oh, I've done it again. I've messed up again. Or everyone's so awful. Treat yourself with some empathy. Replace some of that negative talk with some positive comments. I'm doing my best. This has happened again, but I'm doing my best. It's helping to mitigate those negative emotions that you're feeling. You can still be frustrated with the situation, but you're not blaming yourself for it. And then you make a choice about how you'd like to respond. And we do all have choices about how to respond. If you're responding in the moment, you're reacting. If you're responding after a period of contemplation, of realising what's really going on, then that's truly responding. And look out within those negative emotions for some positive ones, because we all have negativity bias and negative emotions feel stronger and they tend to feel like they carry a lot more weight than positive feelings in the moment. So seek out the positive things from that. And this isn't about having a Pollyanna attitude to life. This is about saying, okay, I feel hurt. I feel frustrated. I feel sad. I feel let down. But equally, at least I've learnt this, or at least I've noticed that, at least it's built my understanding of something, or maybe I've created more resilience in this situation, or maybe I've got more insight into something and I'm now able to clearly choose who I don't want to be around or who I don't want to give my time to. And of course, the final piece of advice in this episode is, and it's not because I am one, but it's to seek out a therapist because managing emotions can be difficult. I myself have therapy for this reason. It requires such a high degree of self-awareness and sometimes somebody outside of the experience to bounce things off. And so when we're having a hard time, our emotional self-regulation can begin to suffer. Sometimes we need somebody, a really good friend, but even better, somebody that's trained who can help us learn better self-regulation skills. And there are so many therapeutic solutions that can help you do this. There are so many different ways. And again, I'm going to say it, I'll do an episode on the different therapies out there and how they work. So there's another commitment. This series might end up being longer than 31 days at this rate. But I think it would be a really good idea to delve into and touch on different types of therapy and to get feedback from other people as to what therapies they've used that have helped them in sobriety or in any other area of their life. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and it's been useful. I know there's been a lot of information in there. You might want to re-listen or to write down some of the tips. If you'd like to find out more about my story, then you can head to my website, louisaevans.com where you'll find lots of useful links 
including a link to my audiobook on Audible. And you'll also find a range of hypnosis and relaxation downloads that you can try at home. Use code SOBERREBEL, all one word, to buy one, get one free as a Sober Rebel listener. You can also find out about working with me in therapy if you need further support. You may like to follow me on Instagram at Stepping Into Sobriety. And all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you for listening and I'll catch you tomorrow. Thank you.